where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. So, Zoe, you did the research this week. Who are we talking about? So today, we're going to talk about Scheherazade from the Thousand and One Nights stories. Oh my god, that's so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, Scheherazade is one of my favorite characters from folklore ever, as we will get into, and I think she's super cool, so let's begin. I'm excited. All right. So first, some etymology. So the name Scheherazade likely originated as an Arabic form of the Persian name Cher-Azad, um, which is composed of two words, Cher, meaning lineage, and Azad, meaning noble or exalted. Um, so therefore, her name means noble lineage, I guess. Um, other Arabic forms of her name were Shirazad, um, from texts by a person named El Masudi, and Sharazad uh, by a text in text by someone named Ibn al-Nadim. The spelling that we know now in English is from a German spelling, and it first appeared in 1801. So, some background on the stories. The Thousand and One Nights is a collection of Middle Eastern folk tales compiled in Arabic during the Islamic Golden Age, which was from approximately the 8th through the 14th centuries CE. It is collect- was collected over centuries by many authors, translators, and scholars throughout West, Central, and South Asia, and as well as North Africa. And it's a super diverse collection of tales with super like different origins. The tales can be traced back to ancient and medieval Arabic, Persian, Indian, Greek, Jewish, and Turkish traditions. So many of the original stories are from the Mamluk and Abbasid eras of the Islamic Empire. And others likely originated from uh, the Pahlavi Persian work Hazar Afsan, which means a thousand tales. And that's likely where the frame story originated from, and that's where we meet Our Lady. So, uh, Scheherazade is a storyteller, and she serves as the framing device for this collection of stories. And so basically the background of that is that the ruler, Scheheriar, found out that his wife was unfaithful to him. And at the same time, his brother and ruler of another kingdom, Shezaman, found out the same thing, that his wife had been unfaithful to him. So they discussed this together and decided that all women were inherently unfaithful and that they would never swear by a woman again. That's a good solution. Yes, no problems there. And so, um, to make things even better or worse, uh, they both decided to each marry a virgin every day and then behead the woman from the night before. So they couldn't be, she couldn't be unfaithful to them. Classic. So, yeah. So basically they're marrying a new woman every night and killing the, the, the next day. And so after three years, basically Shaheria has run out of virgins to marry and murder. Um, and he's also lost like the support of his kingdom for obvious reasons. And then Shaheerazad comes into the picture. So to describe Shaheerazad, I have this quote. Uh, Scheherazade had perused the books, annals, and legends of preceding kings, and the stories, examples, and instances of bygone men and things. 
Indeed, it was said that she had collected a thousand books of histories relating to antique races and departed rulers. She had perused the works of the poets and knew them by heart. She had studied philosophy and the sciences, arts, and accomplishments, and she was pleasant and polite, wise and witty, well-read and well-bred. And that is from Sir Richard Burton's translation of The Thousand and One Nights, which we will also discuss later, but that's the quote for now. So she's very learned and perfect. Yes, basically, she's super smart. She knows everything. She studied all these stories and histories really well. And now she's volunteering to spend the night with Shahariar against her father's wishes. So her father was actually the vizier, which is basically sort of like a administrative, like, military role um, in the Islamic Empire. And he was actually the one who executed the woman every morning on Shahariar's orders, and due to his position, he had been able to spare his daughters from marriage until now. He really didn't want Shahrazad to get married to Shahriar, but she did it anyway. But he'd probably he'd been executing women for three years now, and he'd seen it happen over and over again, and he didn't think it would she would succeed, which makes sense. He would believe that, but also, she had a plan. Oh. So once she was in the bedchambers of Shahriar, Shahrazad asked him if she could say one last goodbye to her little sister Danyazed. Uh, Dunya Zed had been instructed previously to ask her sister to tell a story, and so she did that. And so Shahrazad told Shahriar a very exciting and engaging story, but she stopped in the middle, claiming it was nearly dawn and there was no time to finish. And Shahriar was so eager to hear the end of the story that he spared her life for one day. And so, like, for the first time in three years, he didn't kill a woman after marrying her and she lived to see another day and that must have been so huge yeah and very exciting that's already like a huge feat i'm guessing yeah and this continues throughout the tales for 1001 nights and 1001 stories Uh, many of the stories are actually in themselves framed stories within her greater story so for example the tale of sinbad the seaman and sinbad the landsman Um, is a story of two men telling stories to each other. So basically, within her stories, she also has, like, the stories being told. So she's, like, layering story upon story in order to create more stories and more time and more, like, excitement and themes. And at the end of these nights, Scheherazad tells Scheheriar that she has no stories left to tell. But he has fallen in love with her and spares her life and takes her as his queen. And then it's he been also like could... three years, right? Because a thousand and one. Yeah, that's like a little less than three years, I think. Okay. So yeah, so they've been together for three years. She's been telling these stories every night, and he's fallen in love with her and seen basically the mistakes he's been making in, you know, killing women every day, and he takes her as his queen. And he also convinces his brother Shazaman to do the same. And spares the lives of all the women in his kingdom as well. So basically, through her work and her storytelling, Shahrazad has managed to save literally like hundreds, maybe probably thousands of women's lives in both kingdoms. It's really incredible. So, first of all, I want to know like if you have any more thoughts about Shahrazad. Well, because she probably could have been spared if she had wanted to be like because her because of the position of her father but she decided to do it anyway Mm -hmm. 
because she was like, well, I could probably not do this, but I'm gonna to save all these women. And that's amazing. Definitely. Yeah. It's so brave and it's so impressive. Yeah, it's really like inspiring. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Shahrazad basically has total agency over her story from beginning to end. Um, like, she's the one, like you said, she's the one who makes the choice, and self-preservation would have her not do that. Like, she, you said, she could very easily stay in her comfortable position as the daughter of the vizier and not have to suffer the fate of so many women in the city before her. But instead, she saw these women being killed and no one doing anything about it, and she said, that's not right, and she figured out a way to stand up to him that would work, that would make sense, that would be, like, less directly threatening and violent so that he would want to, he would immediately respond to her, but worked so well that it, that she basically, you know, sat there and wormed her way into his subconscious and into his life to convince him that what he was doing was wrong and to break that pattern and that cycle of abuse. That's amazing. And also, like you said, like, she did it in a nonviolent way. Like, she could have snuck mm-hmm. in with a knife or something like that. I don't know. But she decided yeah. to do it in, like, a really cunning and, like, smart way. Mm-hmm. And it would have made sense if she'd chosen to do it in a violent way, but it just probably wouldn't have worked as well. And so through her storytelling, like, that was the thing that really got him. And then that really shows, like, the power of stories. Yeah, for which sure. Which I think is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, um, sh- like, she, it's shown in the story that, like, this is her decision and no one else wants, wanted her to do this. Like, her father really tried to convince her not to do it. He even threatened to beat her. Um, but she went against his wishes anyway. Um, and also it shows that she's been very prepared for this. She's been planning it for a long time. Like, in that quote I read from all those descriptions, all the books she's read, all the histories, all the philosophies that she's studied, she's been prepared, she's been learning for a really long time, and so this isn't just, like, a spur-of-the-moment decision. She's planned this, she's, like, come up with this idea, and she's come with, like, a very, like, detailed plan of how to do it. And so it's precisely her personality and traits that allow her to be the hero of the story and accomplish her mission. Anyone could not have done what she did, so her extensive knowledge and study of folklore, history, and literature is the key to her success. So this is specifically her traits, her knowledge, and her skills that allow her to achieve what she achieved. And it actually shows the benefits of education and study, in particular in humanities, and in particular women's education and study, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. A really cool message. Like the power that you can have when you are educated. Yeah, when you're educated, when you know things. And in particular, I think when you know history and, like, being able to tell history or, like, learn from history and apply it to current life and current situations, in particular in very clever ways like she did, is so important. And I think that these tales and that sort of frame story really shows that. And Mm -hmm. so something also interesting is that her father actually tries to use a tale to convince her not to go through with her plan. But she resists that tale and the lessons in that tale and does so anyway. So to me, this shows that Scheherazade has total power over the stories. They do not have power over her. She creates them, interprets them, and manipulates them for her own whims and purposes. 
but she does not fall victim to their influence like other people in the story do. So she basically is the one who creates the stories and other people's stories, she has power over them. So her father telling the story doesn't create power over her. She takes the power of that story and then sort of renders it powerless because she's the one, she's the storyteller, no one else is. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is very cool, very powerful. And so her actions are incredibly powerful and impressive. Also, she's under the continuous threat of death and she manages to keep calm and tell thousands of fascinating stories that keep the attention of Shehariar nightly. Like, in not just, like, simple stories, but really complex stories, like the, those stories that have stories within them. So she's not just, like, you know, telling, you know, fun, interesting stories that might not have, like, a ton of depth, but might be interesting to listen to. She's really weaving these really powerful and impressive narratives for the king to listen to. And she's doing all that while not even knowing if she's going to make it to the next night constantly for almost three years. And that's so incredibly impressive. Yeah. So by telling the stories of many interesting and heroic characters, she creates a hero within herself. She's telling these stories, but she's also weaving her own story. Like I said, everything she's done is before is deliberate. She created this role for herself as the person who was going to stop this king and his killings. And she goes through with, she has her plan. She goes through with it. She creates this story for herself and she makes herself into a hero who tells stories and creates her own story, which Mm -hmm. I think is so cool. And so also over the Thousand and One Nights, Scheherazade bears Scheherir three sons and so when she has run out of stories, she su- suggests that as a reason for her life to be spared. So, like, you know, she's created heirs. She's shown herself to be useful in, like, a traditionally feminine way. However, Shehariar states that the actual reason is her ingenuity, piety, and purity. Oh, that's um, nice. So he's convinced of this through her stories, which often tell him to put things into perspective, um, as they often detail the lives of people with much greater difficulties than his own. Mm-hmm. And so basically he's telling her that the reason why he loves her is not because she's fulfilling the traditional role of queen, you know, bearing heirs, like, um, you know, being there for the king, but because she's really challenged his ideas, she's changed his mind, she's changed his life, basically. And that's the reason why he values her, which I think is really powerful as well. Yeah. And I don't know, like, for me, I feel like... It's also part of her sacrifice was being with a man who, like, was killing people. Like, that must be rough. That must have, like, Mm -hmm. took a toll on her. Being like, yeah, this man has murdered, like, 300 women. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Or more than that. Three years. It's probably close to 1,001 women. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Like, it was a really huge sacrifice. And even at the end, she was sort of like... I don't expect him to appreciate it. She didn't expect appreciation beyond, like, knowing that what she'd done would save lives. And she just expected to, like, that he would just acknowledge her worth because of what she had been able to do in a traditional sense. But actually, he challenges that and says, no, actually, I appreciate you for the incredible things that you've done with your stories and, like, really changing the structure of this, like, government and city Character development. Yeah. That's nice. It's a happy ending. Yeah. So, yeah, she convinces him that he's wrong with his actions 
and then he convinces Shah Zaman as well. And so therefore she saves hundreds of lives and really is the true hero of the story of stories. So again, she creates the narrative where she is the hero and then follows it through to the end and achieves her goal. Like, and that just, you know, also shows she has true autonomy all the way. She's created this role for herself. She sticks with it and she has this, and she achieves the desired outcome. She's come up with what she wants herself to do. She's basically in control every step of the way to the extent that you can be in control when you're living with a man who might kill you at any point in time. Yeah, that's like a high pressure situation. Yeah, so high pressure. And so the stories she tells represents the power of storytelling to change lives, opinions, and worldviews, and also represents the healing power of storytelling, which I think is amazing and so powerful. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, stories are so important. Telling stories is so, is like basically what humans have been doing as long as we know, as they've been able to. And this story basically just affirms the importance of storytelling in, like, a really concrete sense. Yeah. Um, in, like, in order to show those really greater ideas, and it's so cool. Um, so her stories help Shahriar heal from the betrayal of his wife's infidelity and understand the world and a situation in a much more objective and healthy light. There, I do think there's something to be said about the woman being the healer of a man who's been, like, betrayed by other women in his life, but I still think it's a very powerful story regardless of that i feel you i think it's cool that she's like the hero of a story where she's like going and get up against misogyny you know yeah for sure the time period like it must have been quite revolutionary i feel like yeah i think it was definitely like significantly like a, a powerful and inspiring story so a bit more about the structure of the story and the history um the structure of The Thousand and One Nights follows a pre-modern Arabic tradition of storytelling called Al-Faraj Balshida. And so Al-Faraj refers to openness, and it's a reference to the experience of relief after a time of difficulty or turbulence, or Al-Shida, which means like tightness or the difficult time. So all the stories in this genre, including the nights, follows the structure of hardship followed by relief. So the hardship in the nights is the period of wrath between two kings, threatening the very livelihood of the kingdom. So one could potentially interpret the mass murder of the young woman and their kingdoms as an attack on the future of their kingdoms. So like traditionally, um, they are the ones who would be giving birth to the future generations. So by destroying all the young women in your kingdom, you're destroying the livelihood of your kingdom. You're destroying the future of your kingdom. So when Scheherazade halts these murders and gives birth to three sons, she ensures the livelihood of the kingdom in both physical and metaphorical ways. She's, you know, created an heir that will be able to rule the kingdom for the future generations, and she's also ensured that the other young woman in the city will be able to survive and therefore contribute to the livelihood of the city for futures to come. The stories are often about lessons of love and also told in stories alongside the stories about the fates of nations. So they follow both romances between people and between countries. Basically, you might have a romance and also alongside the story of a king who has to figure out how to control his kingdom or something like that. Mm -hmm. And these stories do involve romances that follow conventions and rules of propriety and class, which she says then leads to healthy and happy nations. So basically, Scheherazade is upholding the status quo 
Um, and she's doing that both in her stories and in her actual actions. You know, she's giving birth to heirs that ensures that, like, the monarchy will be able to continue. But also, it's better than the current alternative that's going on. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And it also demonstrates how love and stories have the power to make or break nations, which, again, super cool. The power of stories, again, really Once significant, again. <laughs> really important. And the power of love, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Or, mm-hmm. or I think that it's you when you talk about 1001 Nights, you must talk about how it's been adapted in Western cultures in Europe and America and its interpretations. And essentially, I think it's important to talk about Orientalism. Mm-hmm. So the 1001 Nights collection was likely never widely popular in the Mid- Middle East. So there are no editions found from before the 18th century, and it was not mentioned in lists of popular literature. So there are some reasons for this. Um, poetry is generally more valued than prose fiction in the Islamic empire. Um, and also the tales were written off as fantastical pieces reserved only for children and women. <laughs> so, I mean, I also think that, again, if you associate the stories with women, there's some very uh, powerful messages in there for women. Um, And so I think that's very cool. So the stories have had a much wider influence in Europe, and some believe going all the way back to the medieval times and influencing works like Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and Boccaccio's Decameron. Both of those stories basically function as a collection of stories told within a larger frame narrative, which might be modeled after A Thousand One Nights, and I see it. It makes sense. Yeah. But what happened in the 18th century? Basically, French author Antoine Galland created his first full European translation of the stories, forever cementing it into the cultural influence of European writers. There's a quote from Ken Monshein, who wrote an introduction to a recent edition of these stories. He says, There's no transmission without transformation, and in many ways, the reception of the knights tells us more about our own culture than it does about the Muslim world. So, in many translations of The Thousand and One Nights, European authors did not just directly translate the material, but added extra, as Monshine says, quote, salacious details in order to fulfill common stereotypes about the Middle East and existence in Europe at the time. Wow. So this is particular. Mm-hmm. So, basically, if you find a copy now, it's probably been modified by Western authors, at least if it's, um- like, in English. Yeah, almost definitely. I think it like might depend on the translator. Um, I couldn't find a ton of information. I'm wondering if there are some authors who are actually from the Middle East who translated it might have more, like a more interesting perspective to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a like a white author, a white European author or American author, and like from the 19th century, for sure, definitely gonna be modified. Mm-hmm. Gotta look um, out for that then. And yeah, that's particularly it. yeah, that's particularly prominent in Richard Burton's translation. To discuss more of this, we turn to the expert on Orientalism, the man who coined the term himself, Edward Said. So Said says that, quote, in any instance of at least written language, there is no such thing as a delivered presence, but a represence or a representation. The value, efficacy, strength, apparent veracity of a written statement about the Orient therefore relies very little and cannot instrumentally depend on the Orient as such. On the contrary, the written statement is a presence to the reader by virtue of its having excluded, displaced, made supererogatory any such real thing as the Orient. Hmm. So, essentially, 
Western Europeans create their own fictionalized ideas of what the East is like, based on racial stereotypes, exotification, and supports them using their own Western methods and writing, basically creating a fictionalized mystical version of the East. Um, and to quote where I'm getting most of this analysis from, which is the Strong Female Character blog post about Scheherazade, it makes sense then that one of the abiding cultural icons that emerged from the knights is a storyteller, one that takes her understanding of previously written stories, myths, and cultures and shapes them into her own stories and ideas. So Scheherazade is the storyteller of the stories that have helped create this imagined conception of the Middle East, is in a sort of liaison role between Western Europe cultures and this imagined culture. So despite her fictional status herself, her storytelling role legitimizes this fictitious view of the East, which allows the Western reader to pretend that the stories are genuine representations despite the changes that can be made in translation. Makes sense. So, and it comes to show you like the power of translators. Oh, for sure. Yeah, translation is so important. And especially when you don't speak the language, you basically rely on what the translator has to say is what the original text is even though they can definitely modify it heavily. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, translators are acting as though Scheherazade is this authority on what it's like to live in the Middle East when she is not a real person, she is a fictionalized character. Then that, therefore, validates their sort of fictionalization of the East and this creation of stereotypes and false cultures that don't really exist. And so... I think it's really important to talk about Orientalism when it comes to adaptations of The Thousand and One Nights, because basically all Western adaptations have played into Orientalist themes to some extent. Um, You can think again about um, Aladdin by Disney, please don't sue us, um, (laughs) which basically creates this like monoculture of uh, Middle Eastern cultures, like throws a bunch of things together, creating this fictional country and doesn't really actually acknowledge the real cultures and really diverse groups of people and ways of life in the Middle East. It just kind of mushes it all together. Yeah. And yeah, so film Hollywood adaptations of the Arabian Nights stories lead into an Arabian Nights fantasy, which is generally informed by Burton's exaggerated translation and designed to entertain and fantasize rather than education or provide a genuine view into a culture. So yeah, again... Aladdin's a huge example. There are many others. I bet. So they often depict a bastardized amalgamation of, quote, Eastern cultures based on mystification and exotification rather than looking at the individual and diverse cultural settings of each story. So, like, for example, the original tale of Aladdin actually took place in China, which you had have no idea if you watched the movie. Oh, Interesting. Um, also, it wasn't actually part of the original Thousand One Nights Tales. It was added later, which I think is interesting because it's like one of the main tales you think about when you're thinking about the stories. In the case of adaptations, they can sometimes take away Scheherazade's agency and intelligence. So there's an example of the BBC's 2000 Arabian Nights short miniseries adaptation. Basically, in this story, Scheherazade has been in love with Shahariar for a long time, and for that reason chooses to marry him to try to save and heal him. Wow. So this removes her agency of making a conscious choice to put her life on the line and save the woman from the city and create her own hero in herself. Instead, she's just the love-struck girl focused on a man without the level of strategic thought and planning that goes into her story. That takes away the, the cunning and, like, intelligence that go along mm-hmm. with Yeah. 
Also in that adaptation, Scheherazade is shown to not have mastery of storytelling. When stuck in the stories, she turns to an older male mentor, which I think is pretty gross. Yes. Um, Like, the whole point of Scheherazade is that she knows all the stories. And in this adaptation, they're basically um, taking away all of her like knowledge all the studying that she's done all the learning all the research that she has um oh also by the way all this about adaptations is taken from an article the metamorphoses of scheherazade by wenchen uyang so however some adaptations can add more depth to her as a character um so in the example of the bbc adaptation even though it has those flaws um in the original collection of stories we actually don't hear a ton about how Scheherazade feels about like being stuck in this constant limbo of death and pos- and life and whether or not she's going to live to see the next night and they can de- they depict that in the miniseries and you can de- depict that in adaptations which is like good you can add some more depth to Scheherazade um and it also can show the decision making process of Scheherazade as he decides whether or not to kill her and the great stakes she's facing so, like, it can add more emotional depth and intensity to the stories of the characters. So, Scheherazade has been adapted and analyzed in much post-colonial Arabic literature as well. She's often depicted by male authors as a representation of Arabic selfhood, and by female authors as a symbol of Arabic womanhood. And so, um, I sort of want to close with this quote from the article this same article about the metamorphoses of Scheherazade in literature and film. Um, the questions of, quote, authentic- authenticity and influence, or whose story is it, become irrelevant. After all, the story is by and of its teller, wherever the ingredients may come from. So I think that's basically a really good summation of how the story of the Thousand One Nights has been ad- adapted and changed uh, by mm-hmm. European American orientalist uh, visions throughout the years so um as someone who likes to write i think that the story that shows the power of storytelling and influence of the power of stories to influence kingdoms and futures and save lives is so powerful and the way that scheherazade is like the female storyteller Um, Like, her name is literally a word for a storyteller. It's so cool and so powerful, and I just think she's an amazing character. And also, like you said before, like, it also shows you the power of, like, knowing your own history. Mm -hmm. Which is also very beautiful. And like you said, the healing power of storytelling. That's just... Yeah, like, through her stories, she's able to save, like, thousands of lives, and she's able to basically heal Shaheria of the like grief and pain he's been going through of having his wife be unfaithful to him um and like though there are definitely implications of that and woman acting as the healer to a man who's shown himself to be quite misogynistic mm-hmm. i think it's still a very powerful story and a testament to her strength as a person and a yeah, character it's quite beautiful i really really like Shaheria's She's very cool. Yeah, I just think she's amazing. And I also think it's cool that, to show how, like, how much power she has, but it's not through mm-hmm. like combat or anything like that. It's through like her own mind and stuff. Yeah, it's absolutely through uh, her mental skills and prowess. 
which is really super cool. Um, and to show, like, her have the level of intelligence and, like, quick thinking and, um, like, basically cleverness of being able to come up with all these ideas and stories under such an intense, like, shadow of death is really amazing and very inspiring. She, yeah, it's a testament to how, like, amazing she is and, like, her mind and... Mm -hmm. Her knowledge. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to our episode. Um, if you liked it, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends about it. And we'll see you again next week with another episode. Thank you. Goodbye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MakeTheLadies and visit us on our website at MakeTheLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week.